Well, hello again, world. Welcome back to Golf Subpar with Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. And Sleazy, I was out last week, but you held it down for the team. You picked Victor Hovland to win in the Hero World Challenge, and the man got the job done. That's two wins in a row for Victor Hovland and two wins in a row for Golf Subpar. How about it? Sleazy Claus in the house, coming in a little bit early with some holiday chicken. Hovland getting the job done. Love him down in these grainy Bermuda places for whatever reason. You look at his wins. Puerto Rico, two in Mayakoba, now in the Bahamas. They need to move the Masters to a Sandals resort somewhere, and the guy might win nine green jackets. But, uh, you know, I had Berger as well in the mix. He was looking good starting off. And then, God, though, by Sunday, I figured, well, Murkawa's pretty much got this thing locked up. Not too often you see a guy five-shot, excuse me, yeah, five-shot lead going into the final round, six shots on Hovland, and then Hovland finishing bogey-bogey, and then that guy's still winning the golf tournament. Pretty wild. Yeah, Colin Morikawa just had a disastrous front nine, shooting 41. Uh, very un-Colin Morikawa-like. But, man, it, this thing was, like, wide open. All of a sudden, there was, like, five, six guys with a chance to win. And then Victor Holland just goes, eagle, eagle. No big deal. Holds a bunker shot and then eagles the par five. And had enough cushion to get the job done at the end. And He's up to number eight in the world. I don't see it slowing down a whole lot. That kid is looking really, really good. The chipping, getting better. It's good enough when you hit it the way he does, when you drive the ball the way he does. It's just hard to mess up too bad out there. And, I mean, we saw a lot of weird stuff out there. Like we said, Morikawa looked like it had it pretty much locked up, in my opinion. Get out there, it doesn't turn out to be the case. And then opening group, Jordan Spieth, mm. Henrik Stinson, a Jicky Jack broke out there at the Hero World Challenge, playing from the wrong tee box. A little two-shot penalty. Have not seen that. Saw that one time happen in the career of my Jicks. Uh, but that's when they got like tees out for all the you know regulars that are going to be playing afterwards. A little bit understandable. This one, uh, hard to believe. They handled it well and also a good tournament, by the way, if you're ever going to mess up and play the wrong tee. Money, not a whole lot different after you get out of the top few. No, not at all. It was amazing to me. I was just shocked by with between the four of them. They didn't see the massive sign that said 17 yeah. on the tee box they were on. And I was I like, get it. Jordan, I love you, bro, but come on, man. Opening group, probably trying to cruise, you know, get yeah. done, get out of there, get to the beach, whatever you're going to do. There was an enormous 17 there, but, like, Stinson, they had a great press conference yeah. at the end, by the way. Stinson just kind of took over, was making fun of him. But a little a little note on the tee, like, hey, I know this has typically not been the tee, or, you know, been the other tee, but it's for the ninth tier today. Just something like that would have helped out a little bit for the fellas. But, uh, like I said, I don't think they're too stressed about it. Finishing there was a difference 20th and 19th. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doesn't even doesn't even get the plane fired up. So, but it was still fun to watch. I like seeing that out there. They're humans. They are. Uh, but congratulations, Victor Hovland. Not an official win, but we're gonna give it to him. That's four wins. It, yeah. yeah, you it's beat enough, everybody. It's a win for us. You beat everybody. It's a win. And how about the other big news of the oh. week? T Dub. You know, the world freaked out when we saw him flipping 105 yard sandwiches the other week. Now he's in full dogs from the back of the range. Speed maybe Every not day. what maybe not what you would expect clearly, but I'll give it. He's way further ahead than what I think you and I both would have yeah. expected a couple weeks ago when we saw the sandwich. And he's got another week to prepare if he wants to play in the PNC parent child with his son Charlie. You know, he can ride in a cart there. Nota Begay came out and said Charlie gets to play from so far up. They can play his tee shot, so Tiger doesn't even have to hit driver and put stress on on that leg. He can just go out there and hit irons. And I know, obviously, Charlie's probably begging him to play. But, man, I I, I really feel like he's definitely going to tee it up here in a couple weeks. I was just about to ask you. Think we see, I, I think we do now. Prior to the week, I would have said, like, maybe or maybe it's some modified deal where he just rides around with Charlie and, you know, hey, you handle the tee shots and I'll hit wedges or I play me from some – some random spot, put me from wherever far out, and I, our score doesn't count or something. Now I think he's going to actually do it. If he doesn't play, this is a bigger tease than the girl down at Bevy the other night. Mm, I mean, large. I mean, it's just, he's got to. He's out there practicing every single day. You can't give us this video of you hitting drivers and then be like, no, I can't play the father's son. Like, it's got to be. 
you got to be out there. I, I think he's going to be. And if you don't play ago, the father son, no. then you need to tell us right now if you plan on playing in April. Oh, I think April is. I mean, we've been speculating on it. like everyone kind of thinks Augusta is the place that makes sense. I got to think if he's there right now. I mean, it was only nine months ago that this happened, and he's already hitting drivers on the range. He's got another four now of actually playing and practicing to get ready. I know he probably it's can't happening. do it as much as he would like, but um, yeah, if he can put the dumbbells down for a few minutes cool. and get out there, how about the kid just showing up looking diesel, diesel in the jacked. Bahamas? Man, I can't wait. This is going to be so exciting. The lead up to the Masters is just going to be incredible in 2022, and. I just have a feeling he's going to be there, and it's going to be I really absolutely too. incredible. I really think I would put money on right now. Yeah, a week or so ago, whenever the sandwich video came out, I was like, oh, he's trending, and you know, we'll see, I guess. It depends how quickly he can ramp up from there. Now, you know, a week or so later, bam, he's hitting drivers. I think he's going to be I – would, I would bet that he'd be at Augusta. Well, our guest this week knows a little bit about Augusta. Josh Gregory, performance coach on the PGA Tour, former coach at Augusta State and SMU was privileged enough to coach the likes of Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau, and we dive into it. He doesn't hold anything back. Yeah, that's like a, you're getting your Ph.D. in coaching. If you can handle those two and you can navigate your around, your way around and make sure and make them both be good players, which they're clearly great players, but get through that unscathed more or less, uh, that's pretty much all you can see, I think. From there, everything should be easy. I love having these guys that, I mean, knew them back when. I mean, Patrick Reed, you know, went through all the stuff at Georgia, ended up transferring to Augusta State. And Josh is very honest. He's like, look, I wanted to win. The the guy's great. He's a great player. I wanted him. And then Bryson DeChambeau, he's like, had the worst attitude I've ever seen. I mean, it's just. Different rules for different dudes, depending on your talent level. Some guys get the free pass. Some guys don't. You're world-class talent like the two of those clearly were. You get you get a little uh, breathing room. Yeah, but I, just, I love having these guys on that can give us some behind the scenes looks at, at their players. And I mean, he raves about both these guys. I mean, they're both so talented. It's a joke. This is one of my favorite episodes we've done. Even though Josh did it from his car. Yeah, he looked like he was about to get <laughs> somebody's going to come up and ask for his wallet at any moment, right there. But uh, yeah, this was fun. A lot of good golf scoop too. Yeah. Love getting into all the short game stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it. Here's Josh Gregory on golf subpar. And before we get to our interview with Josh Gregory, I want to talk to you about the two, True Turn Pro. So, Colt, you know me. I'm a guy. I like to play golf, but I'm not a big warmer-upper per se. Sometimes I like to stumble to the tee. It's a couple minutes before. What happens every single time? You come out. You're not loose. I get out there. I'm two down through three. I got to press work in. It takes me nine holes or so to actually get loosened up. Now with True Turn Pro, that doesn't happen anymore because I can have this thing at home. I'll be on the phone, in your office, whatever it is that you're doing. You spend a handful of minutes on this thing. You show up to the golf course. You don't need 20 minutes of balls. This thing really loosens you up. And on top of that, it's also good just because it teaches you how to have like a proper turn and it prevents back injury as well. But for me, I love this thing because, like I said, don't get out there too early all that often. So I, I put this thing on. Uh, spend a few minutes with it before I go to the golf course, and it makes a world of difference. Yeah, you can just keep it in your car. Do it right there in the parking lot before you head to the range. But, you know, as a bigger guy myself, some people husky, might not think. I'd I'm, say husky. Yeah, that's fine, too. But a lot of people probably think, I'm not that flexible. But I use this True Turn Pro. I got one of the biggest shoulder turns in the game, Sleaze. This thing loosens up the T-spine. Feels absolutely fantastic and also makes a great Christmas gift. Yeah, this thing is perfect for any golfer out there that wants to get better or just prevent back injury. Top teaching pros are adding the True Turn Pro to their teaching arsenal to help their students learn proper rotation as well as how to keep their backs healthy and strong for golf. Good for young guys. 
good for old guys. And like you said, it could be used anywhere. You use this thing at home in the gym. It's good for working out, learn to turn better, prevent back injury. It travels easy. You can throw it right in your golf bag. You're going on a trip. Boom. It's not heavy. It doesn't weigh your golf bag down. It's it, it's super easy to travel with. So a lot of uses for this. And like I said, it makes the perfect holiday gift. And if you act fast, you can get a great deal by going to the golf.com pro shop and using the code subpar to get 10% off. Don't ever go home again knowing you could have played better if your back were better. Get the true term pro and start playing your best golf ever. And here's Josh Gregory on Golf Subpar. Okay, we have a very astute golf mind with us here today. He's a two-time NCAA champion as coach of Augusta State, two-time NCAA coach of the year, and now performance coach for a grizzload of PGA Tour players, helping them get all aspects of the game dialed in. Josh Gregory is in the house. How are we doing, Josh? Doing great, guys. Thank you all for having me, and uh, hopefully you all can see me sitting in my car here. Colt's already giving me a hard time for not following his orders and being on a computer, but I'll do my best. Joining wow. us from the back of an Oldsmobile here tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll let it slide <laughs> this time. It up. It's really nice. Yeah, but first off, uh, you're lucky Sleaze brought you in, because I definitely would have said astute. I, I like to fluff everybody <laughs> on the way in, Josh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Colt can't spell astute, but although he's a Hall of Famer, though, now, he probably had to learn some words like that for his speech. Listen here, Listen sir. Here, I went sir. to the same school you did. You're making fun of me. You're making fun of yourself. He's got a real good brain. It, it was funny. I asked him what, at that Hall of Fame um, event how many golfers are in it, and your name wasn't on there. I was shocked. I can't. I can't imagine why I wouldn't be the SCB Hall of Fame. They don't. They don't allow me too close. They don't allow me too close to campus anymore. I don't think. Uh, no, I, I didn't quite have the playing career there you had as well. I. I was okay, but I was. I was average at best. Well. We'll get into Don't some of this stuff short. later. Don't sell yourself no, short. No, but let's, let's talk about it because, I mean, you've done – you've had an unbelievable ride, obviously, you know, being a coach at Augusta State, winning back-to-back national titles at a school that, you know, I think probably a lot of people didn't really know what was – even though Division two in every other sport other than golf, and then you go out and win back-to-back national right. titles. I want to know, though, like, growing up, obviously, you played college golf. Was the dream to play professional, or were you always someone that was like, hey, I want to be a coach when I grow up? No, 100%. I wanted to play. I mean, I, I – uh, played junior golf in Memphis, and uh, then I went on to SMU and, pl- and played under Hank Haney there for, for four years, and we played in three NCAs. And uh, yeah, I had a very average to slightly above average career, and I uh, was never as good as I should have been. I uh, physically was pretty good. I just never believed in myself and always played scared. And uh, as I try to get my guys to do now, you know, believe they're twice as good as they really are, I believed I was half as good as I really was. So uh, constantly played in fear, played scared. Uh, played not to screw up. Uh, I was great at missing the cut by one or two when I when I, I played professionally for a couple of years, and I either made the cut by one or two or missed it by one or two. I was just just good enough to donate money. So um, I knew I played under Hank, and I learned a ton under Hank. Uh, but I always thought that if I couldn't make it plain, uh, which I learned real fast that I wasn't good enough, um, that I thought I could I could coach. I thought I, I learned enough from him, but I'll, I could do some things that that his work ethic, his discipline, and what he instilled in us was remarkable. Uh, but I thought I could relate to my players. I thought I could coach. I thought I could just do some things a little bit different than he did. And I'm thinking, what a better way than to try to, you know, it's, it's the next best thing. I live through my players. I compete through my players. If I didn't have a scoreboard, I don't, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I see all these guys and, you know, that, uh, you know, in this, you know, the Golf Digest released all these rankings of top teachers and all that, all that crap. 
uh, that, you know, they, they sit on the lesson tee all day and teach players and God bless them. Cause I don't have, I, I wouldn't have the patience to, to sit there and, and teach lessons for 10 hours a day on the range. I, I'm very lucky to get to work uh, with some of the best players in the world, best juniors, best college players, but I get to have a scoreboard at the end of the day. Does that make sense? Uh, I get to have a result. I, I wouldn't be very good at teaching guys to be from a 20 handicap to a 15 handicap. And that's selfish of me, but that's just the truth. Um, and so my, my passion started as a, you know, as a college golf coach, you know, we always had a scoreboard there. We, whether we finished first or whether we finished 12th, it was always one spot better than it could have been. And so that's where, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I get to do, get to do this now and get to see guys compete and now I just get paid for it. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. You get paid for it. A little yeah, bit. That's a good but deal. I feel like, you know, it's very interesting that you have coached probably two of the most talked about people in the game of golf right now with Patrick Reed at Augusta State and Bryson DeChambeau at SMU. I want to start with Patrick Reed. Like, he obviously, Uh it's well known. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Tell us everything. But he obviously (laughs) transferred to Augusta from Georgia. You know, there were some issues. I mean, that's up to you if you want to get into that or not. But give us a little bit of background. Like, what was Patrick Reed like as a college golfer? It was tough. I mean, you know, I I learned – way more from my players probably than they learned from me. I mean, I, that's the, if your, your, your players shape your coaching style. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have some really tough ones in Hendrick Norlander, Patrick Reed, uh, obviously Bryce DeChambeau's in a class by himself. Uh, but as far as learning from those guys and, and, and learning to be patient, learning to have to adapt some to their style, you know, I'm not a dictator as a coach. I, you know, there's a big difference between instruction and coaching. And there's a, a lot of what I do is instruction, but most of what, what I do is coaching and so I had to coach Patrick Reed a hell of a lot differently than I had to coach Henrik Norlander and I had to coach Bryson DeChambeau a heck of a lot differently than I did the other eight or nine guys on the team so what Patrick brought to the table yeah I knew what I was getting into I talked to Chris Hack when he when he when he came and I, and I said tell me everything I want to know the truth um, and yeah I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I didn't want to win I knew the baggage I knew there were there were some issues coming in but I knew he needed me and I needed him does that make sense? Um, yeah, I knew there would probably be some issues, but at the same time, I thought I was the type of coach that could handle it. I knew he needed somebody to hold his hand. I needed somebody to be a father figure, a big brother figure, a little bit of everything. I know he needed a kick in the ass sometimes, but also needed, you know, he needed a hug uh, sometimes as well. Um, but let's face it. I wanted to win. If, if Patrick Reed was, was shooting 75 every day, I probably wouldn't take it. I'm not stupid, but I want to win. So um, at the same time, You know, it was a pretty, it was hard, uh, but obviously it was worth it. Uh, Not only from the, yeah, it's easy to say it was worth it because he helped you win two national championships. But from a relationship standpoint, I learned so much how to coach through him, dealing with his personality, dealing with a a lot of of struggles, but most importantly, how to coach individuals. College golf, too many coaches make the mistake of thinking it's a team sport. It has nothing to do with a team environment. There is about two things and two things only you do as a team. You go to dinner together, and, and maybe you work out, and maybe you go to a study hall together. Other than that, everything is individual. There's no team practice. Qualifying is overrated. Even workouts are overrated. Workouts should all be done individually because, Colt, you have a temple of a body, and Drew, your body's a little, diff- a little different. But if y'all were working out, I would imagine y'all's workouts would be totally different. So why the hell is everybody doing the same thing? So that's that it kind of helped formulate my beliefs as a coach, which is therefore transferred over to the, you know, the tour level now of coaching everybody a little bit differently. There's no methods other than some of my practice stuff. There's no methods to, to anything I do. 
you know you know Patrick Reed better than I mean you spent more time around him and things like that you said you took him on the team because you needed to win you both needed each other but do you like getting to know him as well as you have do you think he thrives on being the villain like the villain do you think that brings the best out of him like I go back to Tory Pines this year and that whole deal and then all of a sudden he goes out there and puts on a clinic the rest of the week I feel like he almost embraces that role and needs it to bring out the best in him well, I think Colt and I actually texted on that. I believe it happened on Saturday or it was a Friday. Saturday. Anyway, it was Saturday. I believe Colt and I texted during that moment, and, and we both were on the same page that he, he really didn't do anything wrong there. Unfortunately, it's Patrick Reed, so he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And he should have gone above and beyond. But having said that, more importantly, as soon as it happened, I texted Colt and said he's going to win my 10th. Because I said, this <laughs> is exactly what he wants. Because he wants to be the, he wants to be the bad guy. Look. He gets a bad rap for a lot of things. The guy, the guy's not a bad guy. He works hard. He's a true pro when it comes comes to his work ethic, his discipline, his passion for the game. Um, he's very respectful and great to play with. He doesn't talk much, but he's polite. He plays fast. Um, anybody that I coach, he's always been one of the first to ask him how they're doing, offer to ask for help, play practice rounds with, whatever. Unfortunately, he's made some mistakes, probably said some things that, that he regrets that he would love to take back, but he can't. Um, and so he's not all bad. Uh, he's not all bad. Um, he's been awesome to my family, all those things. He just, he loves, he's like Michael Jordan. He wants the ball at the end of the game. He's not afraid. Uh, he's not out there to make friends. Doesn't have many out there. <laughs> would a kisser say one day I wouldn't piss on him if or wouldn't piss on him for burning? Well, that's you know what a, a lot of people may think that, but I don't. I think it's very misconstrued. I, I don't think that many people really care. I, I mean, I agree with you on that. Yeah. I don't think they really care. Do they have issue with maybe some things that have happened? Of course they do, but it really doesn't affect their lives. And more importantly, yeah. they respect and they would love to chip and putt it like he does. <laughs> I would, yeah, everybody. And I would that. say, if you look at what's going on in the world of golf right now, like you had the whole Bryson and Brooks feud. He doesn't, Patrick Reed doesn't have a feud with anyone. Like you said, I don't think anybody really no. cares. We're not going to see Patrick Reed teeing it up in a made for TV match anytime soon. It's Reed in the media. No, That's the no. only feud. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's not going to move the needle in that way. But at the same time, if you watch, watch his golf game and, and learn, I mean, he, the guy's been as bad as consistent as anybody. For the past for the past seventy eight years seven or eight years that, that he's that he's been on tour, um, and he you know he's going to continue to be on he will be on Ryder Cup teams he will win more majors he will do those things because he loves to compete and it, you know obviously not that not the talent level of Michael Jordan but a similar mentality in that the fact I want the ball I don't really care what other, what others think about me I don't care if you think I'm the bad guy I'm going to step on your throat and I'm going to beat you. Yeah. yeah, I think he wants it. So do yeah. you think that his the public perception of Patrick Reed, fair or unfair? Uh, unfair. Unfair. Unfair? Yeah. Misunderstood? Misun better word, excuse me. Unfair is not, not the right word because there's been some things that I know he would love to change and would love to have handled probably a little better. Uh, but at the same, misunderstood is a better way. He is the best I've ever been around in pro-ams by far of any of anybody I've ever ever worked with current or past he is reads putts he can promise you he knows every one of their names he does some trick shots for them he helps them with their golf swing he asks them about their life those are the things that go that go unnoticed uh, some things he did for Grayson Murray when Grayson Murray came out with his issues that, that I'm not going to but he, he did some things for him that nobody were he does things behind the scenes that are pretty darn good uh, his, yeah. his foundation raises a ton of money. His AJGA event raises more money than any event on tour. 
Um, but unfortunately, we see the people see the incident in the Bahamas. They hear the incidents in college. They hear things like that, and, and th those those are hard to overcome. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't make him, doesn't make him a bad person. Well, let's talk about one thing I, I know he is respected for, and that's the short game, which I know you pride yourself yeah. on helping him a lot. You've been with him since college. Have you? Where would you rate him of the people you've come across, or even on the PJ Tour now, as far as short game and around the greens? I mean, the guy just – he has so much fight like we talked about, but nobody, I feel like, gets it up and down. Maybe Jordan Spieth would be the only one I could say, but where yeah. would you rank him? I'd say Jordan Spieth the only one in his class, especially at the medium to hard shots the stuff that you're just not supposed to get up and down, that they are by far the best. Uh, I still would, would take Jason Day when he's on and maybe Luke Donald. Uh, when we're just talking about basic pitching, Brian Gay is, is pretty phenomenal uh, as well. Just basic, medium, spinny pitches, low run, just the basic stuff. That's, that that kind of bores Patrick, to be honest. Does that make sense? You've played enough mm -hmm. golf with Jordan, and Jordan is great with the, little, with the basic stuff, but he's way better off the down slope, off hard pan over a bunker than he is five yards off the green, chipping it to a basic flat uh, because it engages his mind and his hands and, and his art, artistry and all that stuff. Uh, but day in and day out, I, I wouldn't choose anybody in the world over him. I mean, I'm lucky. I, I, yes, I've, I helped him with him, but it's, it's founded a lot of my beliefs through him. And it's founded a lot of my, a lot of my stuff that I work on with other guys, as far as the drills, the games, the competition, he's the one I compare them to. So when we do our drills and games, he's he's the he's the number one. He's the guy that say, hey, this is what he scores in this drill. What are you doing? Uh, because the th the stuff I've seen him do in practice is what would be truly frightening to you. Because when we do kick in drills or we do games around the greens, I mean he's hitting shot after shot that is either going in, lipping out, or going to a foot. And he he generally is trying to make every chip. And what is cool about him is regardless of whether he's winning the Masters or whether he's finishing 55th, he's grinding over that chip on the 72nd hole just as hard. He reads it from all four different angles. Uh, he pulls the greens book out. I guess you can't do that anymore. Uh, but I can promise you'll have more notes. He'll have as many notes as anybody's ever had. I mean, the guy's attention to detail and his perfectionism is off the chart. And he reads a 30-yard chip shot like you and I would, would read a six-foot right-edge putt. I mean, it's a joke. Yeah, How much it's, so a, it's impressive. So uh, but his form, his technique is, is second to none. I mean, he's a drawer of his pitches. I mean, um, you know, there's two ways to chip a golf ball. There's Patrick Reed, hand John Hitch, draw it a little bit. And there's Jason Day, Steve Stricker, wide to wide, a little more cutty looking. Um, but he's the best in the world at, at, at throwing the face and, and draw, drawing pitches. So being that like the short game, that's kind of your calling card. You're really well known, really well respected for all your short game stuff. When you're teaching guys, do you is that something your your methods? Did you take that from other teachers and things you you learned and, and uh, you know on the way up, or is that something that you teach based on what you see with players who you've worked with or observed and things like that? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I was lucky at Augusta State to to, to coach a lot of European players uh, that had worked, that had spent some time around Pete Callen. Uh, so I learned. You know, they're, they're Oliver Wilson, Hendrick Norlander, guys like that were the first I'd ever even heard about drawing chips and feeling like you're drawing bunker shots and aiming right and shallowing it out and not and, and all that. So I learned a lot from them. Uh, I, I could always chip and putt and still can. Can't hit it. Colt, Colt will attest to that or definitely can't drive it. Uh, that ball's still going down uh, I-75, I think. But uh, that's get another that, story. Just, just be patient here. We might it's, get it's, it. coming. it's coming. It's coming. It's uh, coming. So a lot of it, you know, I can do on my own. So a lot of it's trial and error and me trying to figure out, you know, people say, well, what do you teach? Well, I teach lie-based chipping. 
judge a lie. And then every technique, every setup is based on the shot you have and the lie you have. Yes, there are cer certain foundations I, I believe in, whether you're more of a, a drawer of pitching, which would be Patrick Reed, or where you're more of a wide-to-wide -wide cutter of chipping, like a day or stricker. And both of those have certain commonalities that, that I teach. But everything is lie-dependent. Lie everything, whether it's the types of grass, downhill, uphill, sidehill, ball below your feet, into the grain. So that's where I've kind of found a niche that, let's face it, this, the short game, not a lot of guys love to teach the short game. But I, I think unlike full swing i think you can teach the full swing and not necessarily do it yourself but i think chipping you kind of have to be able to do it yourself does that make sense you kind of have to be able to dig it out of the dirt play around with some lies angles figure it out on your own to be able to kind of talk to others about it i think it's kind of like so, sorry i think it's kind of like putting in a sense that like colt and i have talked about this our great putters born our great putters made you can make a bad chipper a, a better chipper but i think there's just something in dna or innate that certain guys have that others don't no matter what technique how long they practice whatever some guys just have it and some guys don't well it's to, to your point i mean i've learned from players i've learned from my other other teachers instructors i've done it trial and error on my own and just under understanding things, but it's like Hendrick Norlander tells me all the time. Colts lo loves Hendrick, and Hendrick's a beauty. And I don't, I don't think he's been on your show yet, but it's a shame that he hasn't been on your show. You need to get him with he a couple bottles of wine, and he'll be just fine. He'll he'll be. You won't understand a word he says, but it'll be great. <laughs> but as, as he tells me numerous times, so Hendrick's an elite ball striker. When he's on, he's one of the probably top twenty ball strikers on, on tour. One of the few guys that can actually hit low flight and fade. It's, it's sickening to watch when he's on. And he's become an average putter and he's become an, an average chipper. But he's, as he tells me all the time, he goes, coach, I'm never going to be a great chipper. He goes, I, I don't have it in me. He said, have you, so we'll be, we'll be going through a session. And it'll be maybe on a Tuesday of, of, the, of a tournament week and we'll be chipping for an hour. And if he ever goes past that, he's going to look at me and say, coach, if I chip this much, I'm going home on Friday. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Man knows his game. Man knows his game. Pat, there's two types of players. Hendrick Norlander goes to the first tee. Hendrick Stinson goes to the first tee in his prime or whoever the great elite, elite ball strikers are. Now, you know, Justin Thomas, does. they go to the first tee knowing, hey, if, if my full swing is on, everything else is going to fall into place. Patrick Reed goes to the first tee and goes, hey, if my chipping and putting is on, I'm not worried about how I hit it. That'll take care of itself. Those, so you have to coach each style. There's Adam Long and I have to spend way more time on chipping and putting because he swings at 110 miles per hour. He has to maximize from 120 yards and in. He can't do the things that Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, Dustin Johnson does. Taylor Moore, my new guy, new guy on tour, has had a nice fall and pounds it. He's 5'8 five, five, and swings at 120. I mean, look, he does things that Adam Long can't do. So every structure and plan and guys you work with is based on what they can and can't do. So, but it, it is, you know, my goal with short game is almost like a prevent defense. I'm trying to build them a defense mechanism. All these guys on tour got their name on the back because they can hit it. You can't play the PGA Tour unless you can unless you can hit it, period. The worst ball striker on tour is still pretty damn good, correct? That's what I tell everybody. Everybody's like, oh, who hits it bad out there? I'm like, no one? No one? Nobody. Mark Train is <laughs> probably statistically the worst ball striker on tour, and he almost won a few weeks ago. Yeah. So at a golf course, it's pretty darn hard. So all these guys hit it. My job is to, to build them a, a prevent defense. It's, build, it's to build them a, a defense mechanism to when things are going haywire, they can hang in the ballgame. And when they are on, they can maximize. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, um, totally. No, this if is they have to use stuff. all of what I do of what I'm doing, if they have to use that too much, they ain't going to be on tour very long. Mm-hmm. My the game works green backwards. If you can make four foot putts, what does that free up? It frees up your lag putting. If you can make your four foot putts, five foot putts, what does that free up? Chipping. Chipping. You don't have to hit it as close. If you can chip it. What does that free up? Iron play. Because now you don't have, you're not afraid to miss a green. Therefore, now you're not afraid to miss it in the rough off the tee. It starts green backwards. Yes, you have to hit it. But if you can do those little things, as I say this all the time, I was working with a kid today that's going to SMU next year that's a high school and really nice player. Look, I don't care if you can get the Harbins up and down. It's unbelievable to watch Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed and those guys get shots from just dead, get it up and down. But I care about getting the basic ones up and down. Basic shipping, basic pitching, basic bunker, basic putting requires way more sound technique than hard flop shots. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. That's, that's basic it's a great shots point. Require contact. Basic hard flop shots require unbelievable sick hands and imagination. I've helped Hudson Swafford off and on for a, a year or so, and he's incredible out of hard lies. He struggled for a long time out of basic chipping. Now he's getting a little bit better because he has a better understanding of what he's doing. But again, he's a type doesn't have to be great at it because he hits so darn good. The one thing I really, really agree with you on is, I mean, for, for these guys like, like Patrick Reed, a lot of guys panic when their full swing's not in total order, when they don't feel totally confident about it. A guy like Patrick Reed, he's like, I've been here before. This is no problem. I can hit it like shit yeah. and still go out and win. I mean, for a guy like me, if I, I would have a bad warm-up session, I'd be like, oh, by God, where are we going Friday night? Babe, Southwest, see what they got Friday. But, I saw you panic when you were at the British Open. Now you're, you're rolling full tilt. Yeah. Well, that was a place where I never played off that tide of grass, and I didn't really know how to compress it very well, and that uh, kind of exposes you over there, Josh. You were kind of a picker, Colt. Let's just, let's just yeah. call it that. You were a yeah. picker. You weren't, really a, you weren't really a compressor. No, that's exactly – I didn't have enough speed to compress it. And just so you know, I asked, like, basically every bathroom attendant, concession stand guy at the British Open to come help me that day, and then I ran into you. Hey, I don't blame you. I'm, I'm be, be, beyond overvalued and overpaid. No, you're the you're the best. One of my favorites out there. But I mean, we could talk. I feel like for four hours. But I we got to get to this other guy. I mean, there's another I, dude. Yeah. There's another guy you kind of spent some time with. You coach I, any normal dudes? <laughs> Not really. You know what? That's yeah. kind of my my mo. I get handed all the bad short game guys, and I get handed all the psychos. So um, anyway, it's uh it's it's kind of part of who I am. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, I I like to be needed. Does that make sense? I, as a coach. I don't work very well with, with independent players who say, all right, I'll see you in a few weeks. I, I like to be in the game, and that's probably my college coaching roots in me. I, I like to, uh, to be a part of guys' lives, and it's a relationship to me, and, and, and the business comes second. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, – but I know where we're going with Bryson, and, uh, God, he's a beauty. He's um, – I've got some great stories, so just fire away. Let's well, get to yeah. him because I, I want to know – I, I just I want to know, first time you see this guy, here he is. Yeah. All same length clubs, obviously different than anything you've seen before. Give me a first impression of Bryson DeChambeau. So interesting story. So I, we won our second national championship at, at Augusta State, and I, I knew I was going to SMU immediately after that. Uh, and I knew I had to recruit fast because, candidly, the team, you know, they were ranked about 60th the previous year, and they had just lost Kelly Kraft, who was one of the top 10 players in the country. So you do, and they didn't really sign anybody. So you do the math. They were essentially a 100th, 110th ranked team and not returning very much. So I knew I wanted to rebuild fast. I, I can't stand losing. And, and so uh, I found out about uh, Bryson through uh, Ryan Ressa 
uh, in TaylorMade, Adidas Golf, who was our sponsor and still a great friend of mine uh, to this day. And he said, hey, there's this kid in California you ought to check out. I said, he's different, but he's not probably well-liked. He's a little different cat. He's got a bad attitude, all these things. But he said, he's probably right up your alley. Um, I said, all right, well, give, give, give me his name. So he told me Bryce DeChambeau. I looked up his results. They were really good. So I did something I've never done in my entire life. I picked up the phone. I, I called Bryson uh, and I said, hey, Bryson, uh, my name is Josh Gregory. You don't know me. I don't know you. I've just won two national championships at Augusta. I'm going to SMU and I'm going to rebuild this program as, as fast as I can. Uh, and I said, I'm going to offer you a full scholarship over the phone. Side unseen. Wow. And the kid almost starts crying because he doesn't come from any money. Um, he was being recruited by UCLA, Stanford, Washington, everybody on the West Coast. And, and he, his dream was to go to Stanford. And I knew the only way I could beat Stanford was to get in early. They have the ultimate Trump card. They have Tiger Woods. They have one of the best universities. And they, it's, it's, the, it's the, maybe the greatest place to play college golf. It's awesome. Best facility. It's incredible. So I said, I'm flying out to the junior world tomorrow to watch you at, at Torrey Pines. I'm going to fly out. I'm only coming out there to watch you. And that's it. I have no idea what I'm getting. I, I kind of know the single link stuff, but I really don't even know what I'm going to get. I just know I'm looking at scores and I trust Ryan Russ and the, Hey, this kid's good. So, and I know I want to win. So I go out there and I see this kid carry with a pull cart. Now nobody's got pull carts at this time. This is 2000. This is 2011. Now every, every junior has got a pull cart. It wants to make me throw up, but everyone I'm has got a pull cart, but so he's got a pull cart. He's got his Payne Stewart hat on. He's, you know, he's got all the irons of the same length. He's, sw he's swinging at, at this time. He's singing, swinging zero shift plane, I think is what he was calling it, because the club never – it wasn't even one plane. It was, it was wacko. But he striked it. He didn't hit it anywhere, but he absolutely striked it. And I, when I say the worst attitude I've ever seen, I mean the worst attitude I've ever seen. Banging clubs, swearing, pouting, looks like the biggest three-year-old you've ever seen. But I don't care because you know what? I can fix that. <laughs> First of all, he can play, but I can coach that. I can fix that. I can't coach 76 into 68, but I can coach 68 into 65 with having a good attitude and learning how to play the game. So I'll never forget I had a, co a coach who I won't mention said, why are you, why are you taking that kid? Well, I said, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't I? He has a 4.0 in the classroom, and he shoots 68 every time he tees it up. All I got to do is keep him out of trouble, get him to the tee on time, and he'll be just fine. So there's nothing wrong with that. I have no trouble with that attitude and, and that, that, that stuff you can work and you can coach. At least it shows you cares. Um, but there, that was the first impression of him. And, and I'll never forget, he gave me one of the coolest compliments ever uh, when he eventually came and said, I'm coming to play for SMU because he chose us over UCLA and Stanford and some really great programs that were established. And we weren't any good. And I said, why did you choose me? Why did you choose SMU? And he said, you were the only coach that would let me be me. Everybody else told me my way wouldn't work. Everybody else told me that single link clubs wouldn't work and they're going to have to conform to their practice beliefs and there's workout workouts and all this crap. I, I, why? <laughs> the kid, it, it, there's different rules for different folks. You shoot 68 and a 4.0, you do what you need to do. You, you, you shoot 76 and have a 2.6 and you're on my rules. I was a, com I was a combo. Which were you? <laughs> what about a 2.0 and shoot 74? Yeah. I was 68 and 2.5, but whatever. Hey, yeah. it, you, it worked out just fine for you, bud. You, you, you're a Hall of Famer. Seriously. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So when you get him and he's got this bad attitude, but you know that going in and you just goes Patrick Reed. So you got some, you know, good experience yeah. in coaching this type of stuff. When he gets there, how do you whip him into shape? I mean, that's a strong headed dude right there. He probably doesn't want to change a whole lot. How do you morph him from this? 
you know, kind of kid attitude out there banging clubs and stuff to a guy that handles himself? Um, hard, be, extremely hard on him, but with also lo- loving the hell out of him. I mean, I, I, you know, I was a coach that, that if you, if you want to be good at coaching, whether it's at the collegiate level, especially at the collegiate level, but even at the professional level, it's 24 seven, your, your, your guys come before your needs and candidly sometimes before your family's needs. And that doesn't make it, it's maybe not a, it's maybe doesn't make for the healthiest life, but at the same time, that's the truth. Uh, when these parents trusted their kids with me, uh, my job was to put, was to put them first. And so there was numerous conversations at midnight. Uh, there was plenty of times sitting after practice, working with them. There was plenty of times at tournaments, the team would go home and I'd be in the van and we'd be sitting there practicing or, or a lot of times just having come to Jesus chats more importantly uh, about life and about talking and about understanding uh, what he has to do to be a, to be a true professional and to be a gentleman. Um, and some of it's worked, some of it hasn't worked. Um, he's, he's still got plenty of, plenty of room uh, for growth, but um, one of the coolest stories that, that I remember about him is so I knew that his wedge game was terrible. He couldn't chip in his wedge game and bunker game. Well, it's hard to chip with a six iron. It's mm-hmm. hard to wedge it with a six iron or a seven iron or what that's, you know, nine degrees upright. I mean, let's face it. That's pretty, pretty tough. That heel's going to dig pretty fast. So he, I knew that I would lose his credibility and I would lose his respect if I ever tried to put him in short wedges. That was the only thing I, I wanted to change that I said, I wanted to give him a couple of my wedges, somebody's wedges and say, Hey, Go figure it out with these and let's see what we can do. Do all the others, but I knew I would lose his respect. So one day he finally came to me after another qualifying round or round when he didn't play that great, didn't chip it well, didn't wedge it well. And he said, hey, coach, I, can I try some short wedges? And I'm literally just dancing because I'm thinking I'm going to have the greatest player in the history of the game because he's going to now have short wedges and he can do whatever he wants to do with his full swing. But now he's going to learn to chip and, and wedge. So. I said, all right, meet me at the golf, meet me at Dallas Athletic Club. So meet me at Dallas Athletic Club tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to, we're, I'm going to bring you two wedges. You bring your two and I'm going to run you through some competitions some drills, some games, and we'll just see what's better. I'm not going to tell you what to do. So I wake up the next morning at about 630 and there's a message on my, on my voicemail already that says, coach, I can't do it. He's almost crying. He goes, coach, I can't do it because I can't do it. I said, all right, meet me at the facility and I'm going to teach you how we're going to learn how to wedge it. We're going to learn how to chip it. We're going to learn how to bunker it with with six irons essentially and i'll be darned if he didn't figure it out and we learned that we had to make a but had i ever forced him into those wedges there's no way we would have had the relationship that we had although i still think he could be a better player with short wedges <laughs> i was gonna ask but, you gonna ask, yeah right now do you think he should do you think he would i mean clearly he probably won't contemplate that at this point but if he did do you think that'd be a good move if he ever just embraced that and said i need to get this better even though he's gotten pretty good yeah if you look at his stats, I mean, his weak his, his weaknesses would be, you know, around the greens and, and distance wedge play. So, yeah, I think it damn sure wouldn't hurt. Um, it's his only weakness. Uh, he's an elite putter. That's what he's not giving credit for. The guy's one of the best putters in the world. Uh, he rolls, rolls incredible. Nobody works harder at it. Uh, now, it'll be interesting to see. You know, now changing green books, changing some of the things they're going to do, how's he going to adapt to that? But there's nobody that works any harder, so he'll figure it out. But, yeah, I think he could be a, wedge, a better wedge player. His distance control would be better. He could flight it better. Uh, all those things, but um, it was a unique relationship. It was something that I learned so much coaching from him. Um, I, you know, we, we had us, I had to treat him differently. I had to treat, keep him away from his teammates at a lot of times uh, because I just, I just knew it, what it was, it wasn't right. He needed to be doing his own thing. So he came to the right environment. 
because I was going to be a coach that was going to coach individuals. And um, he was terrible at match play when he, he, he would, he made it to like five straight USGA events in the Western AM, uh, but he never, he never won a match because he was so bad at match play because all he did was focus on what the other guy was doing uh, and just live and die on what they were doing. His emotions were terrible. They'd make a putt, he'd shrug his shoulders, throw claw, all this kind of crap. And then finally I set him down and had a heart to heart with him and told him what, I mean, I'll never forget this before the USAM at the Western AM, the USAM that summer. And I said, look, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to literally look away every time the person is hitting a golf shot. I don't want you to go out, shoot a score. And if that score is probably going to be good enough to beat your guy. And to his credit, he did it. And, and he tossed his credit. He gave me credit for helping him how to learn how to finally play match play because he was, his emotions just kept getting the best up. So it's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's just so crazy to talk to a guy who's coached Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau. Looking back, if I would have said after your your first year with Patrick Reed and your first year with Bryson Shambo, who would you have said has a better professional career? Patrick Reed. No backup plan. Um, there was zero ever talk about doing anything else. Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup's majors are bust. I mean that that was his that was his talk. Uh, Bryson, I thought would either be in a straight jacket or he'd be be a tour player. Uh, he still might. Both of them. I'd say it if he was sitting right here beside me. We're still we're still close enough. I'd say that he knows it. Um, I didn't know if he could ever, I didn't know if he could ever have the demeanor, uh, the ability to handle failure, the ability to screw up, the ability to miss cuts and, and be able to make it. And, and that was my only worry with him. I knew physically I've never seen a golf ball hit like that. At that time, it was totally different, though. He just hit it straight. I never saw him hit a ball in a half in two years. That's a true story. Yeah. He, he didn't miss fairways. He didn't miss greens, but he, he couldn't putt. Uh, and he was a very average, very average to below average chipper and, and wedger. Um, now he can putt, and nobody's worked harder at it than, than he has to become to become an elite putter. And that's that's what's misunderstood is that people think, yeah, he's he's obsessed with hitting it far, and he's obsessed with doing some weird stuff. But coach, you're out there you know, all the time as well, and that guy's on the putting green now. He may take up half the putting green. Uh, with all his utensils and his devices and, and training aids that he has, but he, uh, there's nobody that works harder at his body than he does. I don't think there's anybody that works harder at any part of the game than Bryson DeChambeau. It's just, it's, it's insane. It's sun up to sundown. And that's why, you know, everybody's like, oh, what he's doing is bad for the game. I'm like, man, if you look at it though, no. and if you're out there, like, it's not like he just shows up, but all of a sudden it starts hitting at 3.30. Like, this has been a process and he works his yeah. ass off. And so that's why I think he gets the respect of a lot of tour players. Hundred percent. I mean, that what's uh, it's uh, one little quick follow up to the, the about taking a path to green when he when he puts. One of my favorite stories about Bryson is Lucas Glover. Who you, Lucas is, is is the the best. I mean, good old boys just says what on his mind. But one of Bryson's first tour events was at, at Colonial, and you know that putting green. It's not very big at, at Colonial, and Bryson's got seventeen different devices on the. He's got tees everywhere. He's got. Sam Putty Lab, he's got all this stuff that he's using that I don't even know how to use. Um, and he's got this working over there. And I'll never forget, it was on Wednesday, Pro-Am Day. So there's 9,000 other people there. And Lucas Glover comes up to him in his little southern draw and comes up to him and says, hey, pro, you ain't the only one on this green. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I, Bryson at that time was scared to death, just shaking like a little dog. And uh, he, he, needless to say, he picked up the stuff. But, um, yeah, he gets a bad rap for – who I mean, first of all, he's young, he's single, he has all the money in the world, he has all the ability in the world. He, he's just trying to figure it out. He he wants to, he has other interests than just going out to win tournaments. I think it's unbelievable that he wanted to go do the long drive competition. He may in two years decide, hey, I don't care about how far I hit it. 
I want to hit it as straight as I can again. Who knows? But he will work hard to figure it out, much like Tiger won with, with three or four totally different golf swings. Bryson has won with, with different golf swings, different bodies, different styles of game as well. He's won as a dinker, but he's also now winning as a bomber. So, And I don't uh, think we'll ever see him like stay the same. I think he's got one of these brains that just has to be going, has to be trying something. If he's, if he's doing the same thing over and over, he's not going forward, I think, in his brain. A lot like I, I compare him a lot to Phil Mickelson because I think Phil is a lot like that. You see him think, I'm going to put yeah. two drivers in play or I'm going to do that. He does so many different things, and it's like if you remain the same – I'm not getting better, and I think Bryson's a lot like that. He'll, I think he'll continue to tinker and do different things throughout his entire career. I think he gets bored, and I, it's it's, it's yeah. much you know, it's it, I compare it to similar to what what's going on with co- this, all this college coaching now with Lincoln Riley and these guys leave after six or eight years. Almost every great coach wants a change. They want a new challenge. Did they handle it the right way? I don't know, and I don't really care. But they they have people that why would you leave to go to these places? Well, they want a new challenge. Bryson wants Tiger wanted a new challenge. He wanted to do something different because they're always in pursuit of perfection, always in pursuit of trying to get better. Status quo for him just doesn't work and it'll excite him and it'll recharge him to want to do something else again, three or four years down the road. Does, I mean, I know you've, you've been out of the college game for a little while now with the stuff that happened and everything. Do do you miss that part at all? Or do you love being out there with the best players in the world on the PGA tour? Yeah, I do miss it. I miss it every day. Um, Having said that, you know, I never dreamed of winning two national championships. I thought I could, and that was my goal. Uh, but I darn sure never dreamed of coaching the best players in the world. I never dreamed of helping guys, you know, try to, you know, whether it's Patrick Reed or Will Zalatoris or Taylor Moore or Henrik or Tucker, all the guys that I, that I work with, the opportunities that I had working with Jason Kokrak a few years ago, worked with Charles Howell. I, I never dreamed of sitting there on, on, the, on the chipping green with Tiger and Patrick talking about chipping. I mean, that's unbelievable. I'm just a college golf coach that happened to be do a pretty good job because I had great players and I, and I wanted to, and I worked hard. Um, so the ability to work with the best in the world, I never dreamed of, but it's also the ultimate challenge and the ultimate, the ultimate grind and the ultimate gratification uh, to be able to try to help these guys uh, win at the highest level. What's cool about what I can do now is I'm so lucky to be at an awesome place to be at Merido where you know, Merido under, under Albert Huddleston to be here in Dallas to where I can, I could be here one day a month or 30 days a month. So I, I don't have to, you know, I don't teach a lot of members. I need to teach more. I need to do a better job of, of doing that. But whether I work with somebody at junior level or college level or mini tour level or professional level, I can truly coach them. Does that make sense? I don't have to, uh, I don't have to fundraise anymore. Uh, I don't have to recruit anymore. Um, I was good at those things, but that's not coaching. You know, probably at Augusta State, 90% of my job was coaching. At SMU, 25% of my job was coaching. Big difference of place. We had, I had three and a half scholarships at Augusta State and a $30,000 operating budget. At SMU, I have a full four and a half scholarship. I have a $300,000 operating budget. I can do whatever I want to do. Money, money, planes, all that stuff doesn't make a darn bit of difference in, in winning. Uh, that's why I hate hearing excuses of coaches say, well, we don't have the funds. That's garbage. You can win anywhere, anywhere within reason. We had enough at Augusta state to win. We didn't have what everybody else had, but we had enough. We had a great, we had a great facility. We had a great place to play. We had enough money to get around and we had a coach and we had players who cared. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I miss it. I hate the way it ended. Um, I hate that my, you know, that, um, yeah, there's some selfish things that, that, that I regret. I, I, I know the truth, and I know what I did, and I made some mistakes. And, um, you know, I didn't deserve the punishment I got. But at the same time, 
uh, if I didn't make a mistake, I'd have a job. Uh, I wouldn't have lost my job. So it was ultimately it was on me. Um, but I'm also, it's a blessing in disguise. Had that not happened, I would have never been able to do this. I would, I would be a college coach, probably, probably still at SMU. Uh, I firmly, I hate it because I, I firmly think we, we would have won national championships there. And I wanted to, to do that for my alma mater, my alma mater, a place that gave me much like you, Cold. I, I wasn't an SMU kid. I mean, I just got lucky enough to get a scholarship there. Um, so I wanted to get back to a place that gave me so much. So um, there's part of me that misses, misses the, you know, I miss the national championship. I miss competing in that event. I miss the, the day-to-day practice. I miss the, the competition. I, I don't miss a lot of the other stuff. I don't miss, you know, uh, the day-to-day recruiting and, and chasing down 14-year-olds. Yeah, that's but, such cool stuff. I mean, I feel like I said, I feel like we could talk about this for like four hours, but obviously, as you can see, it's getting a little dark there. Yeah, I feel like you're about to get mugged at some point, bro. Somebody's going to be on the you're going to be on the first 48 here in the next couple of weeks if we don't get you but, through the E9. Yeah, we got to get to that. I think I was accused of that too when I lost my job at SU. I heard a lot of I think that was one of them as well. I heard you attached to the Kennedy assassination. I don't know if you want to get into that, but I've heard your name linked to that. Coming out in the movie here in a couple months. Yeah, you were in Dallas at the, you know, so. <laughs> well, let's get to it. That's a story for another day. All right, emergency nine. You know all about this. Nine fun questions to get to know Josh Gregory a little more. We ask this to everyone. You can trade lives for a day with anyone ever, dead or alive. Who would it be? Uh, St. Louis Cardinals uh, manager. Whoever that is right now. Oliver Mormon just got named, but uh, I'd be the St. Louis Cardinals manager in a heartbeat. Wow. You're a diehard Cardinals fan? Diehard Cardinals fan would love love baseball, probably one I loved off. Wow. Sit in the I, I wouldn't guess that answer. Shoot tobacco, bullshit with the boys. No, I, I, I'm too scared to do that. <laughs> All right. It's not an answer I thought we might ever get on here. St. Louis man- St. Louis Cardinals manager. All right. We might can make that happen. Maybe Or might, actually uh, maybe GM would be even better. That way I could uh, would be less I could just I could just watch. But anyway, be the manager. manager. I'm, that's that's it. It. I like that. That's a good gig. All right. Next one, uh, would one of your biggest accomplishments as a coach be getting Will Zalatoris to actually eat? <laughs> yes, we, we need, need 20, 20 pounds. pounds. We need, we, we, there's, there's no, no doubt, doubt he needs 20 pounds. pounds. Is he I'll a kid that him. eats and well, doesn't gain weight, weight, or does he not eat? He eats. He just can't gain weight. The guy eats nah, a I ton. Respect it. But he eats, he, eats too, he eats too clean. He eats too healthy, so he's, a, he's kind of a health freak as well, so. Uh, send him to Scottsdale. Get you some water burger in his life. No. You know what I mean? Spend a week with me. Up. You'll 15, be fine. 20 pounds. Got to pump those numbers up in this racket. That, that, that kid's a stud, man. He's uh, What he's done the past two years is, is, is it's been pretty cool to be a, a part of that journey. He's a beast. Yeah. Get that putter yeah. going. Look out. All right. Better fashion statement in the game of golf. Patrick Reed's choker, Bryson DeChambeau's little hat. Hmm. <laughs> you're, you're gonna get me. You're, you're gonna get me in trouble here, but I, I'm gonna have to say the hat. The, 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 I, I know. I know the reason behind the choker, so there's more to it. But uh, yeah, we'll go with the hat and be done with that question. Okay, that's fair enough. I feel like the choker. I don't know the story behind. It, it could be loosened up just a little bit. There are times where I'm wondering if enough blood's getting up there. Could lead to some of these things. All right, next one. When you travel to Torrey Pines this year, are you planning on just packing a sleeping bag for safety's sake? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I, um, <laughs> I I will be getting the biggest bed. No, my whole room might just be a bed. Um, yeah, I'm gonna try to stay, stay in bed this year. You want <laughs> to fell out of bed? King size or a king double? I just take the ground. I brought my own bag. I brought my own bag. 
Yeah, I was in a double last year, and uh, that's the last time I'll be in a double. I'll just be in a futon or, or a sleeping bag. So, yeah, no, hopefully no more falling out of bed. It's quite embarrassing, but actually sober, too. So that's that's really the embarrassing part. I would just lie been a lot more. Yeah, it would have been a lot more, you know, people could embrace that a little bit. Hey, it was blasted. What do you want him to do? Nobody that. believes me. Matt Every has no time for my story. I mean, he's told he's like, there's no nobody that believes your story, but just tell the truth. truth. Robert Allenby is somewhere smiling when he heard that. Hey, I paid for it though with a broken shoulder. It's still not healed, so uh, it wasn't worth it. I promise that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, we're glad we're glad you're okay now. All right, you know, you mentioned you. You, you've you've been out there with the best in the world. You're on a chipping green with Patrick Green, Tiger Woods. What's one of, like, just off the top of your head, most impressive thing you've seen in your days out on the PGA Tour? Oh, wow. So here's the thing, Colt, that, that impresses me. And it's, it's probably not going to be one thing. Um, obviously, I've seen, I've seen rounds. Uh, I saw Charles Howell shoot 63 one year at the plant, on the plantation at Sea Island when it was blowing 40 and the wind was about 20. Uh, the best round I've ever seen on tour is Brent Snedeker when he shot 69, I believe, or 68 to win at Torrey uh, when the average score was like that. that. Yeah, it was like 78 mm. that day. It was it was the hardest. It was it was impossible. Um, so the things that impressed me, and I guess it's because I was never good enough and never believed in myself, the little things impressed me. When I see Dustin Johnson or I see Roy McIlroy started over the water on 18 at Sawgrass, and they bleed it back to the middle of the fairway like it's nothing, or I see uh, – uh, I can't think of a hole off the top of my head. Uh, 14 at, at, at Southland, TPC mm-hmm. Southland, one of the hardest par threes. Used to be even harder when they played 30 yards further back. Water on the right, and I see guys started over the water and hook it in the flat. That's the stuff that amazes me. That's the thing that I don't think the general public really gets it. Yes, that takes a skill, but that just takes balls and no fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just stuff that, to me, just drives me crazy, like, Oh my God, how did they just do that? I mean, everybody else pull cutting it over to the left or they're just trying to keep it on land. And these guys just aren't afraid. And that, that those to me are, are, are the cool things um, that I see bias with seeing stuff that, that Patrick can do in, in, in practice, you know, ma- making, you know, like you hear stories of, of Larry, Larry, you know, Larry Bird making a hundred, hundred free throws in a row, all, all those kind of stories you hear, but seeing him make, you know, 50 to 100 five footers in a row just from random different spots things like that those are to me are really cool when we do our wedge combines and the guys averaging five and a half six feet a wedge from from 100 to 140 yards those are just those are things that you just you just really can't teach that's just those are the sickening things that these guys are great at watching watching like watching Steph Curry warm up for a basketball game those are cool things watching Bryson last year at, at, at Hilton Head when he was first trying to uh, really crack the speed numbers, and you know the net they have at Hilton Head, and he's swinging and he's getting it to two ten, and he's got the whole driving range is on Hilton Head watching him hit drivers. Everybody, you know those guys, they're all selfish. They don't really care about what anybody else is doing. To be great, you're doing your own thing, and literally the whole range is stopped and coming over behind him and watching him hit swing at two ten and just sending it over that net like it's nothing. Bastards a little back there. Yeah. Those are the cool things that, you know, when you ask the question, those are things that I never dreamed of being able to see. Yeah, that's when you know some special shit's going on. When the best in the world all stop what they're doing to watch another guy, that's when you know something rare is taking place. All right. Next one. Of all your students, by the way, how many how many guys are you working with right now? 
Uh, I've got uh, eight, eight cool guys out uh, on tour, and then probably several, probably three to four others that I that I see that come to Dallas or I see occasionally at different spots. I, I, I try to make a general rule, and I've done a better job with it. My players give me a hard time, and some of them say you're going to work with the entire field. So I, I try to limit my guys on the, my full time guys, the only ones I work with on the road, and then I have a few others that I see from time to time off the road. So. Um, I get it. I get it. It leads me into some bad situations, but okay. We'll count your, your part-time <laughs> guys as well of your 11 or 12 guys that you're working with right now. Who would be the most likely to blow an entire winner's check in the shortest amount of time? Well, well I don't work with Grace Murray anymore, anymore. So, so that, that would have been, been a, that would have been a 100% of, of a lot, uh, right there. Uh, I think Sam Ryder. Mm. Oh, interesting. interesting. I would have said Kelly Craft. I would have said Kelly. Oh, that, that, see, that's just day in, day out. Yeah, he's a fancy dude. Yeah, he's a fancy dude. Yeah, he's a fancy dude. Yeah, he's not afraid. I feel like he's never been Kelly Craft. He would just spend it over a longer period of time. He would add another country club membership. He would own Cabo. He would do things like that. Ryder's going to go out and blow out in Vegas with trippers, with, you know, the bottle service. With cold I'm glad you brought him up. I don't know why I had to get brought him up. I'm glad you brought him up. I feel like Kelly Craft is the Dallas Keith Mitchell. Keith Mitchell. Both like a nice shit, you know? That's fair. Yeah, he likes nice stuff. Yeah, he dresses apart. Yeah. Piles apart through and through, and he came from Denton, Texas. If there's a Rich Carlton within two hours of the golf course they're playing, he's going to stay at it. He's fine. He doesn't mind the extra drive. With the playoffs were in Liberty for... Liberty, Liberty one, one year, Liberty Axel somewhere. somewhere. I mean, the guy was. Uh, actually, I don't, I don't think, think it was Liberty. Liberty's not that bad. It wasn't. It, 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 it was a Beth page. 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 It was a yeah. Who had her bigger meltdown on the 18th hole of a golf course? John Vandeveld at Carnoustie or you at Royal Oaks Country Club in Dallas? Yeah, uh, fortunately, mine wasn't on national TV and it didn't cost me $1.5 million or so, uh, let alone all the other stuff that goes with it. But mine was more embarrassing. Uh, mine was only cost me a couple hundred bucks, but it was one of the most demoralizing moments uh, of my life. Uh, other than getting fired, it was probably right, right, <laughs> right, right there just below it. Um, I was playing... I was a, I was I played my best golf ever as a mid am from like 36 35 to, to 40 years of age and I, I was good and Colt we you probably gave me what one aside it was pretty yeah, I think it was around one aside and it wasn't too crazy but I was I was good yeah. I could beat all in college I could beat Patrick and Hendrick just as much as they beat me and when I came to SMU I I, I could beat all my players then um so I was good uh but I just I had driver I had driver demons still have driver demons that's why I don't play anymore and I was I think seven under par through like 14 or 15. And I think I made a bogey and then I just striped and Colt. I think it may have been the first time I'd ever played with Colt, but we knew each other well enough and, and obviously gives me a hard time. And he knew about my driver demons. And so I'm walking up to 18 at Royal Oaks, which is a scary tee shot for anybody, but I 75 shouldn't come into play. Uh, <laughs> but he, basically right before I'm about to hit it, he goes, when am I going to see that high right shot? I've been hearing about. Well, I didn't handle it very well, and this ball was at least 200 yards right of the fairway and is still traveling down I-75 south going to SMU, but it was uh, 
a pretty a pretty low moment in my, in my career. It's one of the hardest I've but, ever laughed on the golf course. I felt bad because I definitely got in your dome, but just the result of the shot was incredible. I mean, you not, backed off and just looked at me before you hit it, and you're like, God. God I want to kill you. Me. I wanted to absolutely punch you, but at the same time, I was like, all right, it's funny, and I need to show them that I can do this, and I just couldn't do it. And I, I would love to know my impact numbers. The face had to be at least 35 degrees open at, at impact. Uh, it was It's frightening, but whatever sounds like you've gotten over it (laughs) sounds like you (laughs) barely even remember (laughs) definitely no scar tissue from that one fuck every time i get on 75 leave it roll because i just start i don't really remember it but it was a wednesday it was 72 degrees north northeast wind six miles an hour i don't know i can't really remember all right well you know shit happens he's a nice insurance policy whenever you're playing anywhere just like as long as i can get a game here no matter what i can i can have a little more exposure over here with the other fellas god bless the big cat all right my next one you just mentioned this man and his uh propensity for wild things so i'm gonna ask you which outfit would you expect to be mo- more flamboyant sam Ryder at a casual wednesday dinner or elton john performing at the grammys <laughs> Uh, there's similarities. There's definitely yeah. similarities. I mean, it's not a no-brainer. It's not an easy question. Uh, yeah, I think Elton's going to be a little bit more flamboyant, but um, Sam doesn't hate a jogger. Uh, he doesn't. He, mm-hmm. But uh, you know what? He's a good-looking kid, and he can pull it off. But um, he's def- definitely got some. Uh, he's, he's not afraid of, of a night of a nice dinner and a nice bottle of wine and, and, a, and, a, and a, a little eccentric outfit. Mm-hmm. Hey, we, hey, hey, you right. and I will stick you to those boring stick outfits. Those boring Just keep it nice outfits. and simple, John. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll stick to wearing a lot of black. Yes. Yes. All right. Black well, and gray, right. Buddy. No doubt about it. Last one. This is actually a serious golf one. We mentioned all podcasts. You worked with Bryson DeChambeau, Coach Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed. They both have one major right now. At the end of the career, who ends up with more major championships, Bryson or Patrick? Mm-hmm. Wow. You're going to get me in trouble again. Yeah. If you want, if you I'll, want I'll allow it just because I'll I know I don't want to get you in trouble. But I need, trouble. Trouble. I need to have a number. Then if it's a tie. Then if it's a tie. Uh, they, they both win four. four. Oh, shit. Bryson's going to be Bryson's pissed gonna, at you. To that's think a he's lot. Gonna, they're, they're both going to get on their horse. Who would you say? You know how hard four is? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're both going to get on their horse. Not many. How many people are getting on their horse? 20? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Right, it's maybe I'd say less than. Maybe. No, I do think it's hard. No, I do think it's hard. But, but probably 50, uh, There's too many good players. Yeah. 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 Who would you I mean, say? There's, 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 so there's three tours on the PGA Tour. You know this. There's the Big Boy Tour. Patrick and Bryson are part of that Big Boy Tour. 15 or 20 guys that you just can't beat. You can beat them when you're on, but for the most part, you're just not going to beat them when they're on. Then you got 20 to 70 that are all good enough to make it to East Lake. And then you got 70 to 175 that are trying to keep their cards. That's a good point. Yeah. Good point. To answer your question, I'm going to say Bryson's uh, to your point. The power game. The power game. So would I. So would I. He's, he's got a game that Patrick's going to have to win on, on, the, on the right places. But what's crazy, this is what, and, and I know this because of his Ryder Cup stuff this year, is that he stroke, if you look at the metrics, strokes gained, I believe he's either either second or third in golf courses that are over 7,500 yards. Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed. Total, now, I, I, believe I, I believe it. I believe it. Because he can get it up and down get because, get because everybody, everybody misses greens, greens and then he's better from there in. People think that bomber, that longer golf courses only cater to guys who bomb it. Yes, does it help? But it doesn't because you're not necessarily – you're going to hit fewer greens. 
period. Awesome. So that's people say, oh, you can only win certain courses. Uh, you know, I, I still think he's going to, I think I, I'm, his record in the British Open has been okay, but I'm surprised it's not better because I think it's someday that that's going to be the right spot for him because of his imagination, ability to fly it, it curve it, shape it, do, do all those things. I think he'll, uh, he's, that, that'll be a good spot for him. And I think the U.S. Open, the more of the modern traditional stop, stop golf courses will be better for him as well. Uh, but yeah, there's not a golf course built that can't hold Bryson in his length. Yeah, you're exactly right. Okay, hell of a run. Yeah. Hell of a run for yeah. both of them. Well, Josh, this has been fascinating stuff, man. We yeah. really appreciate you taking the time. Go home, get some dinner. But as always, man, we appreciate it. We'll see you out on the road soon. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Well, that was Josh Gregory joining us here on Golf Subpar live from his car. Sleaze. I, but I just, like I said before the episode, I love these ones. You get the behind-the-scenes looks. You get you get things that maybe the players won't really, really tell you, but the coaches, they just throw it all out there. Yeah, he had no issue opening up and, tell, you know, talking about Patrick Reed coming to Augusta State mm-hmm. and all that sort of deal. And it's like he says, man, different rules for different guys. Like, he wanted to win. He's trying to build a program. He knows there's some risks. He did his due diligence and said, yeah, this is going to be worth it. Guess what? Turned out working out pretty well. Won a couple yeah. of natties and then goes down to SMU and gets another guy. Bryson and just hearing about him coming up like you know kind of his recruitment and things like that and he's going out and watched him and it's the worst attitude I've ever seen like it's it's gotten like the guys made huge leaps but uh there's it's just, all these guys with mega talent I feel like there's always something I, I love one of the things he said is if you have a 4-0 and a 68 scoring average you can do what you want you can play yeah you can <laughs> you can go ahead and play here but you know I thought it was very interesting coming from where we always talk about how college golf you, you miss it once you turn professional because it's such a team event he's like it's not a team event Everyone does their own thing. You shouldn't be working out with me. I shouldn't be working out with you. We have our different practice things, all this. The only time we should be really hanging out is in the van and study hall. I thought that was very, very interesting. I've never heard a coach say that. Yeah, all coaches are like, you know, everybody does it all together and things like that. You go out on the PGA Tour and look at one guy preparing for a major or another guy. They ain't doing the exact same stuff at the exact same time. So I think you want that team chemistry. But in reality, what to get your best out of your guys, probably they all need to do something a little bit different, more or less. They should be still a team, but like prep-wise – Nobody does two things the exact same way. I thought it was real interesting getting into Bryson. You and I have talked about this on the radio. It's like his wedges, man. Like, mm-hmm. how hard is it to hit a wedge with a six iron length club? Like, that's really, really hard. Of course, that's going to be one of his weaker stats. And he was this close to getting Bryson, like, yo, let's go try some normal. You can keep all your other irons the same. And I would be very interested to see how that would have worked out. Bryson gotten very good with the wedges. Wing foot, he was unbelievable around the greens. But there's no doubt about it. Chipping with a six-iron length club is harder than chipping with a whatever a 60-degree is. I love that he thought he had Bryson convinced to switch, and then he called him at 6 in the morning. He's like, Coach, I haven't been able to sleep. No. I, I can't think, I can't do this. I freaked out. Yeah. I panicked. So you go ahead, pull out a Dallas Athletic Club. I'm good. Oh, that's great. But thank you it. to Josh Gregory for joining us. It was a lot of fun. All right, let's get to FanDuel, Sleaze. Our guys over at FanDuel, the best sports book in all the land. Let's stay hot. Yeah, I mean, just another dub you Whatever, picked on. Whatever, dude. Buy a car for your family for Christmas. We keep hitting like this. Let's go. We got the QBE Shark Shootout this week. Fun team event. Three days. A lot of cool and interesting teams. Big favorite, Sam Burns, Billy Horschel going off around four and a half to one. Um, that's a team. That's a that's a, that's a tough one. They, they're, they're very, very similar. They're aggressive. They're quick players. Um they're going to be tough to handle. Burns had, a, had himself a chance this past week as well. Looked like he might get it done after all that was going on. But, yeah, they're, they're your favorites, and they're your favorites for a reason. Give our picks out right now. I'm going to go with team. This is going to be the fan favorite, I think. This is clearly the, the ones that people are going to be rooting for. Max Homa, my man from the double hole this past week. We didn't win, but we, pre- we got him prepped 
correctly. Fourth, okay, just off the podium. Max Homa, Kevin Kisner, plus seven hundo. Yeah, I like that team a lot. They're going to have a lot of fun out there. I'm going with two guys, work with the same golf coach. Very, very different games, which I think works well in this. They can kind of complement each other. Jason Kokrak, Kevin Na. Kokrak right now, I mean, the kid's, the kid's blazing as well. I mean, there's a handful of guys going into this thing in really, really good form. It's not the most serious thing in the world, but you put a bunch of money up and these guys are going down there and playing like they all want to win. Those juices get going. So, yeah, I mean, Kokrak is on a on a rocket ship right no now. No doubt. Well, we're going to see how that turns out. This is our we got th- that event left and I'm not sure if we can bet on the parent child. <laughs> I'm going to find a way. I want to do so, I'm going to dig in and see how these kids forms are going in. But we have an incredible event coming here to Scottsdale, Arizona, December 11th, FanDuel Fan Fest and you can be there for free. Don't miss your chance to hang out with sports legends, also me and Sleaze, and see live performances by Griffin and Nelly. Country Graham, anyone? Ooh. A little throwback, bring you back to a little high school party. Hello. Yep, but like I said, we will be on site. Come hang out, have a beer or 12, and win win a lot of prizes. We'll be participating in the awesome games they have and have a dedicated spot to meet all of you. All you got to do to get your two free tickets, just place any bet of $20 or more on the FanDuel Sports Back sports app excuse me if you're new to FanDuel sign up using the promo code subpar and you'll also get a risk-free bet of up to one thousand dollars FanDuel FanFest it's the hottest party in sports presented by Lionsgate American Underdog and it all goes down Saturday December 11th at Westworld of Scottsdale just download the FanDuel sports app or visit FanDuel.com slash FanFest to get your two free tickets now. We will be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Westworld, really close to the crib, so can stumble home Cruise afterwards. Home. But mm-hmm. come on over, meet Nelly, Griffin, all kinds of legendary Do you athletes. Think we meet Nelly? Let's get Nelly. Let's get Nelly to slide over in just, you know, a few minutes. Ask him if he's heard of Adam Long. <laughs> of course. Dude, They're this, big in the loop. He's at one spot ahead of him. Well, go to FanDuel.com slash FanFest to get your two free tickets now. Must be 21 years or older and present in Arizona. Opt-in required for existing users. Refund for new users is issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash FanFest. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. Well, that was a lot of fun this week, Sleaze, and we got a lot more fun coming y'all's way because next week we got the raging Cajun mm. Brandon Stokely in the house. Be Stoke in the house. I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it at top three to four funniest ones we've ever had. But you get a lot of good. You get some good golf stuff, and you get a lot of good like Peyton stories inside the NFL type of stuff. It was, I think it's one of the more fun ones we've ever had. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll talk to you on next week's golf subpar. <laughs>